Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again to meet our community, the Hispanic business community here in Orange County, powered by the Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center. Today, we've got the main man here himself, Ruben Franco, and our special guest. Who'd you bring with you today? Thanks, Paul. Oh, yeah, we have a special guest ourselves. We have Senator Dave Min here. Thank you, Senator. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Ruben. Yeah, so we're. Uh, this is our community, is your community podcast. We started the Orange County Hispanic Chamber, and we want to just introduce our community to everybody else in Orange County. So we appreciate you being here today, and we always like to start off the podcast with just uh, tell us a little about yourself personally, your family, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Sure, thanks. Um, so I'm currently the California State Senator for this area, my home city, Irvine, as well as surrounding cities like Costa Mesa, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Lake Forest, Laguna Woods, Tustin Villa Park, Anaheim Hills, and some others. And what a lot of people don't realize is our state Senate seats here in California are huge, yeah. much bigger than our congressional district. So I have the privilege of representing just over 1.1 million people. Now, I am not one of these people who thought I'd ever end up in politics. I've been serving since 2020. I was a UC Irvine law professor before coming here. I taught contracts and banking law right down the corner from where we're sitting right now. You know, I'm not one of these people who did Model UN or Debate Club as a kid. You know, I was terrible at selling magazines as a kid. My first paid position was uh, selling those Cutco knives. Right. And I sold two sets. One was to my parents, the other was to their good friends. So the thought of being out there in a public space of um, essentially having to sell myself all the time, you know, as far as a political vision, not something that I thought was in my DNA, but I think after the 2016 election, you know, I've got young kids. I, I'm deeply concerned about their future, just felt the need to step up and you know somehow that ended up with me being an elected official years later well that's interesting tell us a little bit about your kids how many kids do you have so i got tw- three kids a 12 year old named teddy 10 year old named emmy or emerson and a seven year old named paxton uh you know they're i think they're cute kids uh they're, they're growing up fast as you know they, yeah. <laughs> it flies by uh my 12 year old's really into um computer game somehow he convinced my wife to allow him to join the quote-unquote esports team uh-huh. we got him a gaming laptop my wife was like we got to get it for him we got him this game called valorant and now my wife you have to keep in mind is is very much against like shooting so the idea that my my son would be spending hours playing a first person shooter game all the time was kind of anathema to her but uh he somehow he's a smart kid managed to get her to do that but he's into that it's, he's a good soccer player you know but my 10-year-old, very precocious, is into Taylor Swift right now. That's like all she's about. And so she and her mom are going to go see Taylor not once but twice in August. I don't, wow. Again, I don't know how that happened. Uh, we don't have that much money, but somehow it's all going on computer games and uh, Taylor Swift tickets. Yeah, I hear that. You have to mortgage your house. <laughs> Pretty too. much, yeah. A little bit crazy. So tell us a little bit more about, I mean, you said you wanted to get into politics or you weren't really thinking about it until 2016, yeah. but what, what really drove you? Because it is yeah. different than just being a yeah. professor and, and doing a, yeah. a different type of job. Well, what really drove that? No, that's a great question. So, look, um, I mean, if we go way back, look, my parents grew up during the Korean War and the aftermath of that. And that was just a, a very intense conflict. Ten percent of uh, South Korea's po- civilian population died in that conflict. It, it really tore the country apart. For decades, they were just trying to recover. I mean, my parents would tell me stories about how they didn't have enough food to eat. 
they were lucky if they got an egg as a source of protein. And a lot of people don't realize this today, but one of the reasons that spam is so popular in Korea, like in and if you go, they have like gold plated, very fancy mm -hmm. tins of spam, because that was for my parents' generation, like the only source of protein that they'd often have in a given day or week was the GI's leftover spam. And, um, you know, that country has really accelerated. And obviously today it's a powerhouse. They're producing movies and TV shows and music and cars and electronics. But, you know, my, my parents, um, you know, worked really hard through their youth. They came over to here in America in 1971 on a scholarship for their graduate studies. And, and I think growing up, they had always internalized this idea that America was special, that America offered a vision and a set of ideals that was unique in the history of this world. You know, I grew up internalizing these values. And, and when we think about it, like, I wouldn't be here, my parents wouldn't be here, but for the sacrifice of 36,000 American troops in a far off land fighting for these concepts of freedom and democracy. I wouldn't be here, uh, but for the opportunities that this country has always offered people like me uh, throughout its history. And, um, you know, I think in part because of the values I was raised with, um, I've always been in public service. So my very first job at a law school was uh, at the federal U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. I turned down Goldman Sachs. I turned down a bunch of corporate firms because I wanted to go serve my country. This was right after 9-11, right after the Enron and WorldCom accounting scandals. I'm not a soldier. That's not my training. But I, I did want to go crack down on corporate fraud, clean up our capital markets, try to make our economy work fairly for people. And I think even back then in 01, you could start to get the sense that that opportunity was just starting to disappear for people. I've spent my life since then uh, working as an economic policy advisor for U.S. Senator Schumer, for the Center for American Progress, uh, and then as a professor at UCI, where my research was really focused on economic and law issues. But again, politics didn't seem like that was part of my equation. I had a good background for it, and that's why I ended up yeah. getting convinced to do it. But it takes that extra, I think, really motivation to want to you know, step into the arena uh, to, to try to raise money for campaigns. And unfortunately, in our political system, you have to raise a lot of money. It's very much not a, uh, a thing that any of us like, or I don't like to do it. I think most people who are rational don't like to call random people and ask them for money. But um, when you have that motivation, it's there. And I think for me, look, I don't want to get partisan on this show, but you know, when you have people going after marginalized communities, like I, I grew up as an Asian American at a time and in a community when there were not a lot of Asian Americans. I was the second smallest kid in my class. And I kind of have an instinct in me that's just ingrained in who I am to want to stand up and, and fight back. And whether it's undocumented immigrants, whether it's, um, you know, women or uh, LGBTs uh, or Muslims, you know, you saw a lot of marginalized groups get targeted. And I think my instinct was, hey, this is wrong. This is not the America I believe in. It's not the America that uh, I grew up in. It's not the America that I want for my kids. And at the same time, I think we're also facing a lot of real steep generational challenges, climate change, declining opportunity, uh, right now inflation, but we got rising home costs, rising costs right. generally. We got a lot of tough challenges to tackle. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we need people to get up there, reclaim the America that we want our kids to grow up in and turn this thing around. Yeah. So what? Do you, so getting on that topic, what are some of the big issues you see statewide, California-wide, and then here in Orange County that are really that you're focusing on? Yeah. So in Orange County, uh, let, let's go maybe step by step on the economy first. In Orange County, I think we are fortunate to have a, a thriving, booming economy, even as there are parts of this country, whether through COVID or even today, that are struggling. Orange County has continued to just chug ahead. We are right now, we've got a number of different industries that are really booming out here, whether it's 
finance, technology, housing, development, biotech, life sciences, or others. I think we're in a very good place. I think people want to move here. <clears throat> Here's some of the challenges we're facing economically are really around the high cost of living. Mm -hmm. uh, the number one reason that people are leaving Orange County and, and frankly leaving the state is because of the high cost of housing where their jobs. And, you know, that's keeping young people out. It's, it's becoming a deterrent to new companies moving here or starting here. Uh, and I think it's becoming a huge competitive disadvantage. Relatedly, look, uh, I'm a Democrat, but I think that we could do a better job of promoting business and particularly small business here in this state. I think it's been, we, we pay lip service to it, but we don't actually do enough. We continue to layer on more compliance and regulatory requirements for our small businesses. And I think no one ever stops and says, hey, how is this going to impact our economic growth, our economic engines of small businesses going forward? And I think we need more voices in the room. And I will be leaving the state Senate in a year and a half. Uh, I won't be there, but I I hope that there will continue to be voices that really start making this point loudly because we are, I think, losing our competitive advantage. We have a lot of great things here in California, here in Orange County, but if we're not careful, we're going to end up with an economy that really is starting to get away from us on a downward bent. Uh, on other issues, look, I, I mean, when I hear from people right now, I, I do hear about inflation here, and I think that's starting to you know, at least stabilize, if not drop. I think we're hearing, I was just at a restaurant yesterday talking to the owner, and I think there's a sense that prices are stabilizing, but they're not dropping. And, and that means, particularly if labor costs continue to rise, you know, a lot of small business owners are facing tough times. They have to decide, do we raise prices to levels where we're not sure our consumers can afford them? Do we just eat this and, and kind of squeak by for the next few years? What are we supposed to do? And I think that is a tough macroeconomic issue that the whole globe is facing. Right. But here in Orange County, here in California, I really think we could do a better job on just not overburdening small businesses, of at least trying to understand what they're doing and, and trying to help them navigate through this. There's a lot of places they could be People I talk to love California. We all identify as Californians, but uh, frankly, the state legislature could do a better job of trying to make it easier. Other issues, like, look, I hear about gun violence periodically. I hear about climate change, and we just experienced the four hottest days on record right now um, in human history this past month. And we are going to start to face a lot of that here in Orange County. Uh, the wildfire risk is continues to rise as our, our flora gets drier and drier. Uh, rising sea levels, of course, will impact a lot of our communities, including places like Huntington and Newport. Uh, so we got huge challenges ahead of us. Um, there's a lot of complicated things we have to do. There's a lot of simple things we could do as well. Yeah. And then just going back to um, small business, right? So you, you wonder how much business doesn't get started here. I mean, we're talking about people moving out of the state, but how many businesses don't get started because of kind of the barriers? So, but you've always been a, a big proponent of small business and you know, we host a small business development center under the SBA, mm -hmm. which we're very proud of, of doing and helping people get financing and helping them with their business. And we're able to do that at no cost, thanks to support we get from the governor's office and the state and from the federal government and from just great uh, sponsors that we have that are able to, to do that for us so that we're able to help as many small businesses as we can. But it is challenging. You yeah. Know, exactly right. <coughs> so getting back to housing. so. You know that is a challenge i mean you know my my I have a young not a young son he's 21 now but and daughter that's 26 and you mm -hmm. have young kids and you know how are they going to be able to afford a house how are they going to be able to buy a house how's yeah. our workforce going to be able to, to what do you see on the horizon or any type of solutions for uh, workforce housing 
So when we think about housing, there's, uh, in my mind, multiple layers we have to think about. You hit on one of them in workforce housing. There's also low and very low income mm -hmm. housing. And then there's just housing generally, right. right? There are people that are in our workforce that we don't think of as you know needing workforce housing. But when you're a, I don't know, a government employee making $100,000 a year and you're struggling to find a place of your own, struggling to be able to afford a down payment five, 10 years out of college to be able to call your own, you're still renting, that rental property is taking, say, 50% of your monthly income, which is happening to a lot of young people today, people under 30. Even if you're not homeless, you know, it's it's a drag on our economic growth. It's a drag on, um, you know, household formation, young people having kids, settling down, et cetera. And, and I think there's a lot we could be doing. Now, look, there's some third rails here in California. We know them, you know, including the high cost of housing, tough times we have at permitting, the lack of supply, uh, people holding on to multiple properties because of their low tax bases. There's a lot of reasons why California has a lack of housing. And we can't get rid of any of those. I mean, the, the reality, anyone who tells you, hey, I can snap my fingers and just make a bunch of housing appear is, is ba frankly, BSing you. These are complicated things. But I am seeing some optimism here. Earlier this year, we passed, and last year and the year before, we passed some limited CEQA yeah. exemptions for certain types of housing. And I think that permitting reform will help uh, with getting more housing online more quickly. Um, we have seen um, efforts to try to expand the ability to create more production with second units, uh, ADUs or lot splitting. Yeah. Uh, and again, those are controversial, but at the end of the day, we need more housing and those will help around the edges. Uh, just to give you a sense, I, I've been told that those measures altogether, lot splitting and ADU may create something like 50,000 units around the state. So this is not gonna be a solution to our problem but it could help around the edges. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we just need to kind of fundamentally, in my view, start rethinking the priority of both housing production and also climate infrastructure. And that's another thing we did this year. So I was privileged to be on the uh, task force that was responsible for the Senate's portion of negotiating this climate infrastructure trailer bill that the governor proposed and trying to get it at a place where we were still prioritizing, you know, environmental impacts. We were still prioritizing endangered species and open spaces, and we weren't just allowing development to happen willy-nilly with no consequences, or not no thought to the consequences, but that we were meaningfully fast-tracking these types of projects in, in ways that would help assure developers, hey, you can do business in California. You can build your solar panels here. You can develop your wind farms here. You can lay down new infrastructure here, uh, whether it's water or electric or whatever. And I think we need a similar approach to housing, and, and I think we're starting to move in that direction. It may happen after I'm gone in 2024, but you know, I, I do see some reasons to, to have hope here. Yeah, the 50,000 is a, definitely a start, but it's wh what is the uh, basically gap that we have in housing? It depends who you talk about, to, to, but hundreds of thousands to millions. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, uh, you start you know, wondering how, how we're gonna get yeah. how we're gonna get there. But CEQA reform is a good first step. Obviously, we've been talking about that for a long time uh, on the business side, and we need to continue to have those those conversations. Yeah, you mentioned homeless. Uh, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, and, and we've had a definitely increase homelessness yeah. statewide and even here countywide, where we didn't think Orange County was going to get uh, affected by it the way other other counties would. Yeah, any any. Uh, thoughts on that yeah and I want to step back because I forgot to answer your actual question about workforce housing sure. uh, but on workforce housing when we think about the types of housing out there I think low and very low income housing typically requires some kind of state subsidy private developers won't do this on their own because it's unprofitable for them 
Workforce housing is a little bit different because you can create units that are a little bit smaller. You know, you don't need a five-bedroom, like, multi-million-dollar mm-hmm. mansion. Um, and that's obviously what developers around in Orange County want to produce because that's the highest gains for them. But I think we need to encourage our localities, our municipalities, to demand more workforce housing because developers don't want to do it. It's not the most profitable, but they're not losing money on this typically. When you're building either units that are designed to be rental or owned, whether it's single family or multifamily, uh, for someone making, say, $75,000 to $150,000, that's kind of the sweet spot that we're missing right now in Orange County. Right. And, and that's true of a lot of the state, unfortunately, where it's the young professionals, it's the, the cops, the teachers, the nurses uh, that have to move further and further away from where they work because they can't find things within their income, even though they're making a pretty good living at the end of the day. And, and I think we should be incentivizing and or extracting more workforce housing commitments out of developers in return for the right to develop. It's hard to micromanage that from Sacramento, but I think we could think about ways to incentivize our municipalities to do more of that. And RENA could be a start to that, the RENA process. But again, all this gets complicated when you talk about a state with 39 million people in it. Now, as far as uh, what we do about homelessness, I support the care courts idea. At the end of the day, I think we need a humane approach to dealing with the unhoused but one that also recognizes the rights of our communities and the people in it to enjoy their open spaces, to enjoy their neighborhoods without necessarily running across people, you know, shooting up who have mental health or other issues. Mm -hmm. And so I think the idea that if you have a home and you are unhoused, that you are, you know, maybe fast-tracked into taking some kind of shelter, I think that's an idea that seems reasonable. We want to have safeguards for due process, and I think that's what the care courts are trying to you know, balance out right now. Um, but we have to do something about that. Now, I, I want to touch on homelessness a little bit more because this sure. is a very, very multifaceted problem. And I've come to learn a lot about this in my time in the Senate because it is a top issue. It's a very important issue to my community. It's a very important issue to the state. And what I've come to learn is that there's really a lot of layers of homelessness. Look, you and I, you know, we have a medical emergency. Maybe our insurance doesn't cover something. Most people in America, unfortunately, are one major accident away from being precariously close to homelessness. We're not able to pay our mortgage for a couple months. We can't pay our rent. We then move to couch surfing at friends' places. Maybe we then start sleeping in a car. We buy an RV. But it's it's kind of that slope into, by the time you see someone on the street talking to themselves and with mental health issues and maybe substance abuse issues, they have probably been unhoused for months or years. Uh, and, and it's unfortunately just a, a vicious cycle uh, because, you know, you can become homeless because of substance abuse issues, and then you might have mental health issues, but all these things compound on each other because if you're unhoused and you're housing insecure, that creates a higher likelihood of mental health issues, which in turn creates a higher likelihood of substance abuse. So these things all feed into each other in a really, really nasty feedback cycle. And so I think I've become convinced that it's the fiscally prudent thing to do to try to intervene early. I know a lot of people don't like handouts, but I think the idea that if someone is struggling to pay their rent, they don't have a place to stay, we give them some temporary shelter, uh, are able to help them get back on their feet, to get a job again, to to be able to pay their rent or mortgage. Uh, That is someone that we are turning away from that slippery slope down into being on the street. And that ends up with that person or family becoming a a tax-paying member of society, our neighbors, you know, our soccer coaches, et cetera. If we let that just go unimpeded, those same folks will end up being a huge, huge cost for us. And, of course, there's just the moral question of, like, do we allow people 
to become unhoused in this society as wealthy as we are. Um, and, and so I, I think I become convinced we need to sort of intervene early. Uh, we need to figure out what we do at each level of housing insecurity all the way to the, you know, the time that you see someone on the street. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, an issue that exploded. I think, what are we in, like 175,000 unhoused uh, statewide, statewide yeah. right? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just grown. Well, and Orange County obviously doesn't have the same problem as like right. L.A. County, but, you know, we still have major issues. And, and I think we're actually doing a, a stand-up job here in the O.C., of dealing with homelessness. We have some leading models, some leading shelters, and the one thing everyone's looking to that Orange County is doing really well is, again, by the time you see someone on the street, they not only need housing, they need a whole series of what we call wraparound services, yeah. uh, mental health, just people checking in on them to make sure that they are taking their meds, that they're you know showing up for their job interviews, uh, almost like treating like probation. You just need people to check in, making sure that folks are on track that they're not slipping back into that cycle of substance abuse, mental health, and uh, homelessness. Yeah, I mean, there's some other models, too, like in Houston and other areas of the country that have kind of stepped up and done some things that are differently. And I think we are going to have to, as a society, figure out what we're going to do, yeah. too, as well. Just so we, But I think I like what we've done here in Orange County so far, so yeah. we have to continue that. What are some of the other big issues you see here in Orange County itself? Sure. Well, again, as I mentioned, climate change right now is... is it's not the most pressing time issue, but it's in the background, right? Because we, you know, and one issue we're going to face directly because of climate change is the insurance issue. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see more and more insurers pull out of the state because of climate-related issues. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see that accelerate. And, you know, places like Newport, you know, you're going to have a tough time finding house insurance if you live near the water, for example right? Because we know rising sea levels coming. We're going to have to deal with these or these problems in a number of different directions. First, we have to try to responsibly reduce our carbon emissions, uh, transition to a renewable energy economy, but do that in a way that doesn't disrupt people's lives, right? And, and I think President Biden here doesn't get enough credit for the IRA and BIF and what they have done. By all accounts, we're seeing hundreds of billions, maybe trillions of dollars in private capital come into green innovation, into infrastructure here in this country, uh, that's real money creating real jobs, real infrastructure improvements, real innovation that will help, help transform our economy. We need to do that supply side stuff because uh, we can't just tell people you can't drive your cars. People need to get to work. Right. They need to be able to turn on their air conditioning or lights and have them turn on. At the same time, we do need to start phasing out fossil fuels as quickly as we can responsibly. Um, at the same time, we're also going to have to adapt to the changes that are being wreaked by climate change right now. You know, there's a lot of different models out there that people talk about, manage retreat, adaptation, wh whatever you want to call it. We're, we know there's changes coming. For example, we see the wildfires right now that we know are part of what California is going to have to deal with on a regular basis uh, in ways that are unique in our, in our state's history. We're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, water boom bust, flood and drought, and we've experienced both of those in recent years, and, and how we think about things like water infrastructure. We're going to have to manage biodiversity. You know, look, we're facing a lot of extinction crises, and people don't think about what it might mean for our civilization if we lose a bunch of different species of bugs, of birds, of, of animals, and, and whether that means we have a lot more coyotes coming around, whether we have more rats, whether we have problems with, uh, you know, bees. Right. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but all the scientists tell us that an extinction crisis will impact us negatively in ways we can't even anticipate. So I think we also owe a duty to try to preserve open spaces and, and try to preserve biodiversity to the extent we can. We in California, we live in a beautiful place. We have so many beautiful open preserves. 
and I think that's also part of California DNA, like that this idea of we get to walk along the coast, we get to go hiking in these beautiful open areas. And, and, and so I think it's important to preserve those spaces for those reasons as well. Yeah, well, we have 43 miles of beautiful coastline, but if we don't preserve it, then, you know, what happens? Exactly. You've been a big supporter of what we do here as a chamber and what we do uh, as an SBDC. Why is the Hispanic uh, community important to you as a, as a center, as a leader? That's a great question, and, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, it is near and dear to my heart as a new American, because I think a lot of Hispanic Americans are new Americans, and we share a lot in common as Asian Americans. That experience of coming to this country, of being grateful to this country, while also having experienced some things, you know, not being part of the mainstream, that, that I think also give us experiences about being marginalized, being on the other side, be, being maybe more sensitive to the plight of the other, of, of wanting to stand up for the little guy. I think that we share a lot in common. Of course, the 20% of Latinos that are in this district are voters. But aside from that, they're, you know, an incredible, incredibly diverse community, I, particularly here in Orange County. Right. Uh, there's no one pocket that, that is where our Latino base is. It's uh, all over. We have business owners, we have entertainers, we have athletes, we have working folks. And so I, I think our Latinos really add to the culture, add to I think the economy in ways that I, I think the Asian community does as well. And this to me is, is part of the value and, and beauty of the district I represent is it's diverse, but it's diverse in a way that is very uh, coherent and collaborative. Uh, that is to say, you see Asian neighbors living side by side yeah. with white people and Latino people. And there's just, a, I think, a real sense that, that the people I talk to, people that voted me into office, believe that inclusion and diversity make our country better, that this is a core part of America's DNA. And that's an important message at a time when there are those people out there saying, hey, no, diversity is bad. This is part of being, quote unquote, woke. Uh, We really just need to go back to an America where people like you weren't front and center, where they weren't in the mainstream. And and I think that message of, hey, diversity is core part of America. Uh, We're here. This is our country and we make it better. I think it's a message that speaks broadly to a lot of communities, including, I believe, the Hispanic community here. Yeah, and you mentioned the word uh, collaboration. I mean, we, I think that's one of the blessings of Orange County is that people do like to collaborate and stuff versus maybe some other counties out there. But yeah, we have a few minutes left. Is there anything you want to share with us? Uh, any last thoughts at all? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, speaking about small business, some of the work we've been able to do in sure. the legislature. So as you alluded to in my first year, Uh, I was able to pass a bill called SB 87, which provided $2.1 billion in funding for small businesses that had suffered from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, And I believe we had something like $150 million come to businesses in this district. And I've talked to a bunch of owners, uh, including I think members of your organization, where this was a lifeline. Again, I can't take full credit for that. My colleagues voted for it. But uh, I, I'm you know, very honored and, and humbled sometimes when I think about the impact that, that we were able to have uh, in the legislature. This year, I was able to get a bill th- most of the way through. I think it'll get signed into law later this year, SB 666, and, and take that number with a grain <laughs> of salt. Uh, but uh, it is targeting the devil of uh, small business junk fees. And okay. uh, as many of your, your members may have experienced, there are a lot of predatory lenders out there right now targeting small businesses with... Yeah products that are unfair, they're opaque, they have hidden fees, they have ratchets, and we're proposing a series of different solutions to different types of predatory lending products targeted at small businesses, uh, whether it's usury caps, whether it's more transparency or things along those lines. 
Um, and so that bill, I think, will will get signed. I suspect it'll get signed later this year by the governor. It has one more stop in the assembly before it goes to the governor's desk. Uh, I've tried repeatedly to pass small business regulatory relief. I will continue trying until I leave the Senate. Uh, it's sometimes a tough environment to get yeah. bills like that through, yeah. but but I think it's important, even if we get something that's just symbolic, to start telling small businesses here here in the state, we actually care. We want to make promote the goals of small business people. Because, look, I was a failed entrepreneur when I was younger. Uh, first company I joined out of college uh, ended up failing the 01 downturn. I know how hard it is for people to put up their own capital, their yeah. own reputation, their own blood, sweat, and tears into a venture. So I am very grateful for that. Uh, we have done something like 50 webinars and roundtables with uh, related to small business, and I just wanted to highlight that. And uh, we're open to hearing from your members and otherwise about what we can do to continue to collaborate and be responsive to and promote the interests of small business. But yeah, just want to be your advocate up in Sacramento while I can. Well, we appreciate the fight. We know it's not easy. It's very challenging. But small business uh, community, the chamber, and our uh, constituents appreciate you doing that because it's, it's not, like I said, it's not an easy fight. But another thing, just thank you for being here today. We well, thank you for, for joining us, being on our podcast, sharing our community is your community. And uh, look forward to seeing what uh, great things you continue to do as a leader out there. We appreciate your leadership. Thank you, Ruben. Really appreciate your leadership. Thanks, Senator. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being on. Okay, there we have it. One more good reason to tune in each and every time to meet our community, the Hispanic business community here in Orange County, powered by the Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center.